Thanks for tuning in to the Fertility Health Podcast, hosted by renowned fertility specialist Mark Trollis, MD. Each episode features first-hand advice and potential treatment news, tips, and strategies listeners can use on their fertility journey. And now, here's your host, Dr. Trollis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Trollis, and today we're going to talk about mosaic embryos. A lot of you may not be familiar with that term, but it's something that we're going to probably be hearing more and more about. It's part of pre-implantation genetic testing. This is through in vitro fertilization where we analyze the embryos. We test them chromosomally and they're either normal or abnormal. But then there's this special category of mosaic embryos. And with me today to talk about that is Dr. Eric Foreman. Eric is the medical and laboratory director at Columbia University Fertility Center in New York City. He oversees the medical practice as well as the IVF lab and andrology. He has extensive clinical and laboratory research experiences and has published numerous articles in in, uh, well-respected medical journals. A landmark article that he was involved in publishing showed that if you do chromosome testing on embryos, if you transfer one chromosomally normal embryo, it's the same pregnancy rate as transferring two untested embryos. And that really shook up things to help put us all in the right direction of doing single, elective single embryo transfers to really reduce the risk of multiple births through in vitro fertilization. Uh, he also did uh, a great study on um, proved that egg freezing using rapid vitrification technology didn't increase the risk of genetic abnormalities in resulting embryos. So uh, a tremendous resource for us today that I wanted to bring on the show and, and talk about mosaic embryos. Eric, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Fertility Health Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Mark, for having me um, and for that introduction. So, yeah, I have some thoughts that, that I could share about the status of mosaic embryos in IVF after pre-implantation genetic screening or, or testing. Right. Um, so so let's, let's talk mm-hmm. about first what, what we gain from, from PGT, uh, pre-implantation genetic testing. So for, for the audience to know, this is really... Uh, uh, you know, you hear about the, the 23andMe and where patients can get the, the full chromosomal analysis. Well, we're looking with PGT at the 23 pairs of chromosomes. 22 are non-sex, and one are the X and the Y. That's the X and Y pair. That's a male. XX is a female. So 22 non-sex, and that's what we're looking at. But there's a special category of mosaic embryos where there's, Two cell lines. There isn't just 20, uh, 46XX or 46XY or abnormal, but there's two cell lines. So, Eric, talk, talk to us a little bit about how can there be two cell lines in in a, in a uh, test result on PGT? Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, I think even before we get to the PGT part, I mean, just the concept of mosaicism, as you described, it is it is definitely a real and known phenomena, you know, in biology that. Some people or animals or any organisms 
exist that are mosaic where they have a mix of different cell types. So mosaic, just like you could think about like mosaic tiles having, you know, different colors, it basically means that there's more than one cell type. And in this situation, we're specifically talking about the chromosome number where there is a mix of cells that are normal, 46 chromosomes, XX or XY, as you mentioned, and some proportion of cells that have an abnormal or aneuploid complement of chromosomes, you know, either an extra chromosome, trisomy, or missing chromosome monosomy. And so, that, so trisomy, that, for that, everybody, trisomy is really an extra set, if you will, of right. chromosomes. So instead of getting 46, um, uh, you would add another 23 uh, to that to get into like a 69. So just a whole extra right. set of chromosomes. Um, so that, and monosomy right. instead of 46, you're going to get the 23. Right. Well, okay. that's, um, I mean, trisomy would actually be, you know, an extra copy of an individual chromosome. So it would be 47. Right. It would be like trisomy 21. Oh, There'd so, be so, three, so, three so, copies so, so, of yeah, chromosome yeah. 21. Triploidy yeah. is like a whole, yeah. triploidy is a whole extra set. Which is another I rare, I rare thing. That, mixed up. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's okay. As but, a means of clarifying, uh, uh, Down syndrome is a, a, an extra 21. So for for everybody in the audience, an extra 21. So that would be a trisomy 21, and that uh, is as how we describe that. So so go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Right. And so so, you know, as you mentioned, you know, most normal, you know, healthy embryos or babies, you know, have the 46 chromosomes, you know, most of the aneuploidies, if there's a whole extra missing chromosome that's not viable, it's not compatible with healthy life, and either the embryo won't implant and won't result in a pregnancy, or many of the trisomies are found in miscarriages. Um, There are a few that are viable, like Down syndrome, where you can actually have a baby, but is associated with you know, significant developmental and health problems. Um, However, this, you know, situation where there's a mix of normal and abnormal, that can have a range of different, you know, presentations to theoretically like a milder form of Down syndrome or other types of syndromes where, you know, there's enough normal cells to to actually progress and have a, a delivery in a baby, but there may be some associated syndrome from having abnormal cells or when we think about or when we think about IVF with pre-implantation genetic testing they may be less likely to even result in a pregnancy than the normal embryos and and uh, the the patients uh will, will will can can know that the placenta can normally have mosaicism and and uh, and that's Really, I guess where this is coming from is that the cells that are being tested are from the trophectoderm or the future placenta. So removing about five to ten of those cells that will be future placenta, it's not unusual to get mosaicism there. And, and I just wanted to bring a point up is that years ago, probably ten now, when we used to do fish technology screening on, uh, of the embryos, we did it on day three, and you removed one to maybe two cells mm-hmm. on embryos that were at the six to eight cell stage. So you wouldn't see mosaicism, really, because you're only using one cell, right? Right. But, na- but right. now that we use five to ten cells 
for, for analysis with PGT on the day five or six embryo, that's why mosaicism is, is coming to light, correct? That's true. You know, that, that challenging, so there's a couple of, you know, issues I'd like to discuss. One, you know, where does, where does mosaicism come from? You know, you asked about that. Basically, PGT, this testing, is used as a selection tool that if we have multiple embryos and we really want to try to put one at a time and have the best and safest outcomes, we know that, you know, especially with increasing age of, of the woman who's producing the eggs, there's a higher proportion of eggs and embryos that are abnormal and success rates, you know, used to be very low, putting one embryo back at a time, and some of them result in things like miscarriage. So PGT allows us to sort of cut through that and hopefully find the most viable normal embryos, you know, for the first transfer, for future transfers. And, you know, not every normal embryo implants can work, but they seem to at a higher rate and have a lower rate of miscarriage and also a much lower rate of things like Down syndrome, which can get increasingly common. So what PGT can't do is, I mean, it can't improve the embryo. It can't fix the abnormal ones. It can just let us select, you know, if there are normal ones within. It gets to the better embryo sooner. Right. And, you know, mosaicism, so when there's an abnormal chromosome, like a trisomy or monosomy, that usually occurs because the egg, when it matures, these eggs that have been in a woman's ovaries since before she was born, when it gets the signal to mature and ovulate, and then we pick it up right before that at the egg retrieval, it has to resume this process of meiosis, which is basically how it kind of goes down to a half set of chromosomes to combine with the 23 that the sperm hopefully will bring in to make a new embryo. And Unfortunately, that's an error-prone process where sometimes the egg keeps too many, sometimes it throws out too many when it's dividing them, and, if, and, and then that can result in an embryo, and initially one cell, day one embryo, that has a, an extra copy or a missing copy of a chromosome. And when that embryo now copies itself over and over in mitosis, that will replicate and all the daughter cells downstream will be abnormal. And so that's how you get you know, bona fide Down syndrome, trisomies that result in miscarriages. So where does this mosaicism come in? I mean, there's different theories for how it could come in, but it could be that that a, a normal egg gets fertilized and is dividing and producing normal daughter cells. But then there's an error along the way in, in mitosis that one of the daughter cells, you know, keeps too few or too many. And then as it propagates downstream, you know, its daughter cells are abnormal. Now you have this mixed population of normal and abnormal, and it can vary, you know, depending on how early in the process of an embryo development that happened and what that cell is destined to become, whether it's placenta or the actual embryo baby itself. So that's, I mean, that's, I think, the simplest way. You know, there's other theoretical explanations for how mosaicism happens, but I think it's, that that probably is the most common and easiest to understand that there's an error when the embryo is developing and dividing. And so I think again it's clear that mosaicism is real. There's a real biological, you know, mechanism for how it could happen. It's sometimes benign, sometimes it's found in placentas, but also placental mosaicism has been associated with 
fetal growth restriction, like smaller babies, even potentially fetal demise or preterm delivery, some complications of pregnancies. But there probably are some mosaic placentas that mm-hmm. result in perfectly healthy babies. Yeah. You know, so that, that's, I think that's what mm-hmm. everybody's really nervous about is, is that, you know, that you're seeing, we're seeing some preliminary studies or, or evidence that's coming out where mosaic embryos are being transferred. Um, right. and there are some clinics that don't even ask for the mosaic results. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll basically say, don't want to know mosaic, just let me know if it's normal or abnormal. And so the mosaic gets put into the category of abnormal. So right. the, the, the initial question is, if we do that, and, and this is really more rhetorical, if we just say, hey, I don't want to know about mosaic, just tell me if it's normal or abnormal, are we discarding a potential viable embryo, um, an embryo that's mosaic, we're going to be reported as mosaic, but we're not going to know about that. But if we, but if we transferred it, would it have resulted in a pregnancy? Right. And, and what, what we know to date right now is that mosaic embryos have higher miscarriage rates, a lower live birth rate, but obviously it's not zero. And it doesn't right. seem, and maybe you know more uh, of updated literature, Eric, but it doesn't seem like we're, we've seen an increase in birth defects or really any mention of that. Are, are you seeing no. any data on that? Right. No, so correct. I mean, so, you know, one concern about, you know, it was definitely easier for doctors to just have it be black and white, binary, normal, abnormal. It's easy to explain. This middle category is definitely more nuanced and takes more counseling, but I think we should always, you know, keep what's in our patient's best interest in mind, and it may be worth the extra counseling. Um, and as, as you mentioned, you know, there, have, there are clinics that will transfer these predicted mosaic embryos when there aren't, you know, normal ones available, and there have been several studies, you know, published showing ongoing pregnancies. So far, there actually have not been any reported you know, ongoing pregnancies or deliveries from one of these mosaic embryos that actually turned out to show any signs of mosaicism either on, like, CVS or amniocentesis or when the baby was born. Um, it's, so there's it's a, a self-correction. Yeah. There's a correction that either, either the embryo is going to abort or if it's ongoing, right. it's self-corrected and the cell lines become yeah. normal and we have normal babies. Uh, hopefully. Right. That's one explanation. I mean, another explanation, which I think is important to keep in mind, and given I have some background in, you know, the development of some of these pre-implantation genetic testing assays, is that it's not, you know, such a straightforward thing to take five to ten cells, as you mentioned, and then be able to say, you know, what the actual genetic status is of that given embryo. Um, when we do like a, an amniocentesis, they get you know hundreds or thousands of cells that they can look at. When you do a blood test, you get a lot of DNA that you can analyze on different types of genetic technologies like sequencing, for example. When we do a biopsy, each cell has like six picograms of DNA. It's a very, very tiny amount. You can't just take the DNA from that biopsy and and sequence it directly. And you can't see the individual cells, which like, I'm kind of always careful when I write about mosaicism to, to kind of couch it as the 
the biopsy is mosaic or it's predicted to be mosaic or the embryos are at risk of being mosaic because the only way to really know that something is mosaic is to really see like different cells. And we are not, we don't have that kind of resolution when we do a trophectoderm biopsy and pre-implantation genetic testing. And remember, okay, so I'm, a, me... I'm, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an advocate of PGT. Again, I did studies where I believe that it can be used to select a normal embryo and get really good results with single embryo transfer. But we should also be aware of the limitations of the technology, and it's not perfect. So just so to summarize, low... and then we can go on to Sorry. summarize, we're not, we're not actually seeing like individual cells with different chromosomes. We're taking a biopsy. We're then amplifying or making many copies over and over of the DNA that's in that biopsy and then sequencing it and seeing how the signal from that amplified DNA correlates across the different chromosomes. And there's a range. When it gets to a certain range, it looks like consistent with having two copies of the chromosome normal. If it gets to a higher range, it looks like three copies abnormal, trisomy. Then there's some line, like you have to draw a line somewhere. There's a threshold where if you're doing normal, abnormal, you go from two to three, or this middle range where it could be mosaic, which means that if there is a mix of some cells that have two copies and some cells that have three copies, the pro, you know the analysis would fall in that range. And that's one explanation consistent with this, you know, terminology that the embryo, the biopsy was mosaic. But again, you know, no test is perfect. Another explanation is that there's two copies all along and for, you know, various reasons, the DNA amplified, you know, preferentially for that chromosome and it reached a little bit higher level that is in this suspicious mosaic range. So I truly, I believe that when we have these results that are mosaic, some of those embryos truly are mosaic, and many of those probably don't continue to develop. Some may, you know, may implant and, and make healthy babies, but I think some of those embryos are normal and just had a result that sort of landed in that mosaic range. And some may be abnormal, which again makes us a little nervous and it's risky and it depends on which chromosome is involved, but some of them may be abnormal and it amplified a little bit less than the full trisomy range. And, and that might be why, you know, they don't implant quite as well as the, the fully normal ones. So let me, let me jump in and, and, and sort of get to the crux of this matter is, should we be transferring mosaic embryos? Is there enough medical mm-hmm. evidence right now to say it is safe to do and we can feel confident that what we're transferring is not going to put baby uh, development at risk. Uh, seems like it's a little early in, in the preliminary. And while you're, while you're planning that answer, I right. just wanted to confirm with the audience, it seems as though when, you, when we biopsy, when we remove these cells of the outer embryo, we're not removing cells from the actual future baby, okay? There's the embryo right. itself. We call the whole thing the embryo, but the biopsy is from the future placenta, which is the trophectoderm, and the inside that embryo, the blastocyst embryo, is the inner cell mass, which will be the future baby. Now, we're not biopsying that. We're biopsying the outer cell. And if we do that, it seems that the prevailing opinion is about a 4% error rate 
of those outer cells and the inner cell mass. Is that where we still are, uh, Eric? Is it better? Is it worse? Or we're still yeah. about there? Yeah, I think that that's somewhere in like the five or less percent range that that we think that in the majority of the time it correlates and it matches, and that's why we that's why the normal you know trope exoderm biopsies do better, and they usually result in healthy normal babies, and and why we don't transfer ones that we really think are abnormal because if you know the embryo, the inner cell mass is abnormal, it's not going to really work. Um, so we obviously don't biopsy the inner cell mass because we don't want to uh, risk harm, harm going right, into right. the embryo and doing that. But that would obviously be the ultimate testing, is, is or potentially the ultimate testing. Okay. Uh, so, you know, final question: All is it premature in your mind to be even offering patients transferring mosaic embryos? I don't, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think like a lot of things, it comes down to counseling. I mean, first of all, you know, we don't do PGT 100% across the board. So undoubtedly, all of us are transferring embryos like all the time that would have yielded a mosaic result had it been biopsied and analyzed on one of these testing platforms, right? So untested embryos, some of them are normal, some of them are abnormal, some of them are mosaic. We transfer them, you know, we, we counsel patients that when they get pregnant, you know, we don't know that it was normal. They're going to have to do, you know, even if we do know that, that, that it's normal, we recommend they do, you know, all kinds of non-invasive and even invasive genetic testing to confirm that their pregnancy is developing normal. So, so that's an important point. That's an important point that we want the patients. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so we transfer, you know, these embryos that would be mosaic unknowingly. The question is, you know, if we do a biopsy hoping to find a normal embryo, should we transfer if it comes back in a predicted mosaic range? And, you know, I think in general, I mean, I think, like you said, they have a lower, they seem to have a lower chance of, of implanting with limited numbers so far, seem to have a higher chance of miscarriage. Um, we definitely feel better and would like to be able to transfer normal embryos. Right. I mean, so the, again, I think it's individualized. Like, what's the option? Right. If someone can do another cycle and produce a normal embryo or more, that would be, you know, ideal. If someone just cannot physically or financially go through another cycle and they're not ready to or can't afford to go on to egg donation, you know, if in mo this mosaic embryo. If it, you know, I would say if it doesn't involve one of the viable chromosomes that is known to be associated with an ongoing syndrome, like chromosome 13, 18, 21, you know, if, if it's a chromosome that's not associated with Down syndrome or Edwards syndrome, Pateau syndrome, again, if the mosaicism actually is, you know, fully abnormal in the embryo itself, then yeah, I think, I think because there have been healthy pregnancies and that might be this this woman or couple's only chance at that point, I think it's reasonable yeah. if you thoroughly explain the risks and the benefits. Well, you know, it's, uh, we're out of time, unfortunately. I mean, we could obviously yeah. talk so much longer about this, but yeah. I, I just want to caution all of us is that our patients are desperate. And if we give them sometimes a 1% chance, and that's their right. only chance they're going to take that. So I think 
I'll leave it with the rhetorical question, can we really counsel our patients adequately that they truly understand the risk and, and uh, are, are we offering them something that we should not have been offering uh, because of their desperation? It's, it's obviously a philosophical, ethical uh, right. argument that is not going to be answered in our, in our little podcast here, but I, I obviously need a tremendous amount of more diligence, uh, and I would love to see much more long-term outcome uh, as best as possible uh, before we just jump on this. But this was right. extremely educational uh, to me, and I know our audience really appreciated this, Eric. Uh, yeah, but thank unfortunately, you. as I said, we're out of time. Oh. So I just oh, want to thank. Thanks for having thank, me. Oh no, no. I, so unfortunately, we're out of time, and I want to thank Dr. Eric Foreman from Columbia University Fertility Center in New York, where he's the medical and laboratory director. Uh, if you are in New York City, uh, please look up Dr. Foreman. He's an excellent physician, well versed, and provides outstanding care. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Health Podcast. If there's anything from today's show you want to learn more about, check out the IVFcenter.com for all the notes, links, and tips mentioned in this episode. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please press the subscribe button on your podcast player so you don't miss a future episode. And if you haven't given us a review or rating on iTunes yet, consider leaving a five-star review to help us reach and educate even more individuals in need. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.